Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Well, the talk of the town this week is the decline in gun sales. President Obama was the best gun salesman the world has ever seen. And since Election Day, gun sales have declined or slacked off. When you take away Barack Obama and you give the Republicans control of both houses of Congress which is extremely friendly to the gun lobby, then the political pressure subsides. And that surely is at least a key part of the explanation for the drop-off in sales. Now, the Washington Post reported that the FBI conducted about 500,000 fewer background checks in December 2016 than in 2015. Gun sales this year have reportedly dropped about 17%. Now, from 2004 to 2013, sales of all handguns, pistols, and revolvers increased nearly fivefold, according to the industry figures, and sales of rifles tripled in that time frame. So if the Trump administration and the Republican-controlled House and Senate want to save jobs, they need to pass the Hearing Protection Act and Concealed Carry Reciprocity Bill. Now, the Hearing Protection Act, what that would do is that will remove silencers or suppressors from the NFA list, the National Firearms Act process. And what you would do is just walk into the gun store, just like you're purchasing any other firearm, then you will be able to purchase that silencer or suppressor by just filling out the form and doing the background check. And there's no wait unless you you have that wait in your state already. So just like any other firearm, And so we're trying to get that passed this year. This needs to happen within the next year because when we have midterm elections, then things typically change. During midterm elections, the House or the Senate usually flips to the opposite side of whoever is holding the White House. So that's why this needs to be done within the next year or we're going to we may lose this chance for quite a while. Also, the concealed carry reciprocity bill that needs to be passed. So that way. 
your handgun license will be recognized in every state in the United States, just like your driver's license. All right. So just like when you have a Texas driver's license, you will be able to leave Texas and travel into other states, Oklahoma, Mississippi, wherever, and your license is recognized. And so you just have to follow the laws of that state that you're in while you're in it. Well, we're trying to get the concealed carry reciprocity bill passed so you can do the same thing with your handgun with your handgun license. So it can be recognized in every state. That also needs to be done within the next year. Same thing. If we wait until after midterm elections, we may miss this chance. All right. So now on the flip side of that, you have a surge in gun sales for members of the LGBTQ community and also minority communities. They actually are going to the gun stores now and purchasing guns where they did not before. And some people are saying, and I, honestly, I don't know why. I have no idea why this is happening. But some people are saying because of the Trump supporters, maybe some supporters are racist or something like that. I, I don't even want, I don't want to get into that because we don't know. And we're just people are just guessing. But the fact is, these people are, you know, they're finding a need, you know, for whatever reason or the other. To actually go to the gun store, yeah, purchase a gun, get some training, and start carrying a firearm. So, hey, I'm great. If you want to get into the shooting shooting sports, then that's wonderful. We uh, look forward to having you. And so you have organizations like the Pink Pistols, the African American Gun Club, and other organizations have seen their membership just grow overnight. Now, also this past week, we had constitutional carry was brought up in the Texas House. Uh, that's House Bill 375 and also, also House Bill 1911. Now, House Bill 375, which was a bill that was sponsored by um, State Representative Jonathan Stickland. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to bring in uh, Justin Deloche from Lone Star Gun Rights into the conversation. Justin, welcome to Come and Talk, sir. Line two. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Justin. So go ahead and tell us about HB 375. Well, HB 375 basically means that if you're legally allowed to possess the firearm, like if you can go into a gun store and purchase it and walk out of the store with it that day, you should be able to wear it openly or concealed without having to beg the crown for permission. All right. So and House Bill 375 was filed back in what, November? In November. That's correct. November 19th, I believe. OK, so November. OK. And so. Now, explain this 375 to me. How Lay it out loud. Let's lay it out. So this means what? You know, I, I won't need a handgun license in the, while I'm inside the state of Texas? That is absolutely correct. Uh, and, and basically it makes it, it, it makes it legal to carry within the state without a handgun license, and it does not impact the LTC requirements at all. So anybody who wants to get a license in order to carry outside of the state, it's still going to be there and still available for those people. All right. And if you want to chime in on this, because some people are upset about some of the things we said or some of the things I posted online. And if you want to chime in and let me know, you know, where I'm wrong, or where I'm lying, please give us a call. My call in number is 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-5483. One more time. That's 512-643-LIVE. Come and talk. So definitely call us in and, and let me know where I've gone wrong, because I, I like to talk to my Facebook lawyers and let's, you know, let's hash this out. Because yeah, one thing I do know, I do know the Texas penal code. I sleep with this stuff. I can crap it out, you know, first thing in the morning. So definitely come on in, call on in, and explain it to me. Let me know how I'm wrong about this bill. All right. So House Bill 375. And I'm also going to go to Derek in line one 
because I want Derek to tell me about HB 1911. But before I go to Derek, let me go back to Justin. You know, I need you to tell me a little bit more. Give me some specifics about HB 375. Well, I, I guess what area do you want me to be specific about, I guess, because it, it does a lot of things. All right. So, so currently, I, currently I, right now, I don't need a handgun license to carry in my vehicle. When HB 375 goes into effect, is anything going to change with me carrying inside my vehicle September the 1st if it goes into effect? No, sir, other than the fact that you'll actually have more rights now because now you can actually get out of the car and pump your gas without having to leave the vehicle in your car. Okay, so if if some if I'm charged with any type of crime, if I you know don't pay my back, don't pay my child support, uh, if I'm a chemically dependent person, none of that stuff. I, I, sound judgment with respect and proper use and storage of a handgun, any of that stuff. I don't pay my 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 sales tax, my property tax. Is any of that stuff going to affect my rights on September the first? No, sir. If it wouldn't impact you from being able to possess the firearm, it's not going to impact you from being able to carry it. All right, so there's a difference between possession and being able to purchase. So what is the difference between possession and purchase? Well, okay, I, I guess the, the thing that you'd be, re, you'd be referring to felons then at that point. Um, in, in, the, in the state of Texas, after five years, you can actually possess a firearm, but you can only possess it on your property. Okay. Right. You, can't go to, you cannot go to, the, to a gun store and, and, and purchase a firearm as a felon in Texas ever. Right. So there's so going to be a big. There's a difference. Between, so there's a difference between possessing the gun and actually purchasing the gun. So you know, not everyone who can possess can actually walk into the gun store and actually purchase it. That's correct. Under the yeah. federal so, law. So I guess. So I guess the right word for that would be that if you can purchase it, you can carry it because uh, that particular part of the language in Texas is is not uh, is not going to change with 375. Now, are there some flaws in 375? Give me, give me the. Where is this bill lacking? What are some things that you we, well, you feel we should be able to change? What we just mentioned right there about the fact that if you're if you're a nonviolent felon and you you know you've done your time uh, and you're already allowed to possess a firearm on your property, uh, maybe in time we'll be able to we'll be able to make it to where they can carry as well. Okay. All right, that, and then that, what about would be one flaw, now? There's a federal law. There's a federal law that says that I can't be within a thousand feet of a school with any firearms. Yeah, you know, unless you have a handgun license from the state that you live in, or you live within a thousand feet. Under House Bill 375, will I be able to have my handgun under the federal law within a thousand feet of a school? Well, that's that's a that's a tricky subject. I mean, I don't know how the other constitution carry states are handling that as well. But to my, to my knowledge, under 1911, that's not that's not handled either. I mean, there's nothing you can do within the state law that's going to make it legal federally. You see what I'm saying? Correct. So, All right. Yeah. And, and you're correct. You're absolutely right. I just want to bring all that stuff up now. So now let me before I go to Derek, because I want Derek to lay out 1911 for us. And, and you know, I wanted to hear about the pros and the cons for 1911. Before we do that, let me go to Donald. Donald, uh, line three, you're on with Come and Talking. Yeah, Mark. Hi, it's Donald Rutledge. I'm in uh, Vincent County. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm for 375 and 1911. Uh, something that we need is something freedom and liberty. And being that I'm retired military, I require no license to carry my assigned weapon. Uh, that's where I'm, con- you know, that's where I'm at. Whereas, why do I need a license to carry a weapon when I didn't require one in the military? The only time I ever needed 
any paperwork was when I was doing requalifications on my assigned weapon. But yeah, but going back, I am 375 and 1911. I think all Texans should and get it. I mean, without a doubt. Uh, to me, I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution, and to me, that's Second Amendment. You know, there's no but to it. But that's where I'm standing on this, and I appreciate it. No, not a problem, and thank you for your call. So now let me ask Justin one more question before I go to Derek. Justin, is there a difference between constitutional carry and permitless carry? Yes. Uh, I would I would consider HB 375 constitutional carry, and I would consider 1911 unlicensed carry. See, un, uh, unlicensed carry still has restrictions on who can carry and when and when and when you lose or when and if you lose your rights. Like for instance, some of the Class A B misdemeanor stuff. Uh, whether whether uh, whether you're charged with something, not convicted. I mean, I would consider the unlicensed portion would have way more restrictions than than constitutional carry would, because constitutional carry. Again, if you if you can legally purchase the firearm, you should be able to carry it. Okay, all right, all right. So now let me go to uh, Derek, line one. So Derek, give me some, give me the pros for uh, House Bill nineteen eleven. Um, <laughs> you think I was going to say? You think I was going to say that to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bill number is probably the biggest pro of nineteen eleven. It's a it's a sexy bill number, but that's really about all it has going for it, at least from what I read on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. House Bill, yeah, 19, and you, you know, you hear that, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, uh, my prayers have been answered. You know, the, the, the gates of heaven have opened up, and, and, and this is the bill that's going to save us from, from tyranny, and it's, it's all about liberty, 1911, right? Uh, not, not, not so much. If anything, it will, uh, I don't want to get all tinfoil hat on you, but it seems like the only way to enforce any of the qualifications under 1911 is you need to have at least a, somewhat of a police state. You need to have law enforcement detain well anybody that they see carrying and make sure that they meet the qualifications, either demand their LTC if they have one, and if they don't, you have to run a check on them to see if they, um, if they have a uh, restraining order that affects a spousal relationship, to be, to, you know, for instance. And the problem with that is you can't enforce it any other way. Uh, whereas on 375, it's just as long as, you know, like Justin said, as long as you can purchase the firearm, you can carry it without a license. And there's no need for, to have that. And in fact, 375 even has specific prohibition against uh, law enforcement detaining an individual uh, for engaging in otherwise lawful activities with a with a handgun. Mm, OK. And, and, and as I understand 1911, when it came out the door, as it was filed, so as the bill was filed, it actually included everything that was listed in 411.172, which is the eligibility for getting a handgun license. So there's right. a difference. Whenever it first came out, I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, whenever it first came out, I mean, you had to be a resident of the state of Texas for six months. Uh, you ha you could not be charged with a Class A or Class B misdemeanor. And, you know, they've come out with committee substitutes. I think they're on their third one now to try and tighten it up and make it a, a better bill. But, you know, you can, you can only uh, – you can only polish it so many so much before you you know if the really what it boils down to is 375 is by far the better bill so why would you want to water it down and hmm. um, they they the latest committee sub actually goes in and uh strikes out some of the qualifications in 411172 which is your qualifications to get your LTC okay. and while that sounds good it 
severely puts in jeopardy our reciprocity agreements. We have reciprocity with uh, 34 other states at the moment, and by my last count, at least six were planning on pulling their reciprocity agreements with us if uh, 1911 becomes law because they start uh, tweaking the, the qualifications. Whereas 375, you still have all the qualifications that are needed to get the LTC, but you don't have to have it in order to carry, which makes it a by far a better bill. And, you know, the last thing that we want to do is to take steps backwards and try and mend these reciprocity agreements that we may lose because we're dealing with the, the qualifications. And, you know, that that's a step backwards, not a step forward. All right. So hold on, Jeff from Arizona. Hold on, Derek. Hold on, Justin. Hold on, John from Austin, Texas. Uh, we're talking about constitutional carry. We're talking about House Bill 375, House Bill 1911. There's a whole bunch of lipping and laughing, slipping and slapping, jigging and jabbing going on here. But we're going to get down to the bottom of it. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Sound off on the news of the day with the talk poll online at talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're back. And we're back and we're talking about HB 375. We're talking about House Bill 1911. We're talking about the pros and cons. Our call in numbers 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-LIVE. Come and talk it. All right. So are you for it? Or are you against it? Uh, are you for constitutional carry or against constitutional carry? Do you support one bill over the other bill? Uh, let me know. I'm just curious. You know, send us a message on Facebook or whatever. I just want to get your thoughts. All right. So now let me go back to Derek. Derek was laying out House Bill 1911 for us. And he was telling us the pros and the cons for 1911. And we're talking about the eligibility, the 411.172. Okay. And that's the eligibility for you getting your handgun license. The difference between 375 and 1911 is 1911, when it came out the door, it added all the eligibility requirements for the handgun license. So let's think about that and process that for a second. All right, so it added the eligibility requirements for the handgun license. So that means that if you, today, you had your handgun in your vehicle, that means that you can have your handgun in your vehicle. It just must be concealed in the vehicle. You didn't, didn't need a license for it. Okay, that's the law today. All right, so if you were charged with any type of crime, a class A or B misdemeanor, that still will not affect you carrying that handgun in the vehicle. If you were charged with a felony, that would not, that would not change you carrying that handgun in the vehicle because you could still do it without a license because you're just charged. Okay. If you did not, if you owe back child support, that would not have changed you carrying that handgun in the vehicle. Okay. So September the 1st, if 1911 was to go into effect as the bill was originally written, then that would change that. You would lose that right in your vehicle. You know, and I don't like you giving me something with the left hand and then turn around and taking it back from me with the right. I have a problem with that. 
You're saying on one hand, I'm going to give you constitutional caring, but then if if I think that you you know what, officer pulls you over and the officer says you had a drink, one drink, no refusal weekend, which is going on right now in Austin. No refusal weekend. That means they pull you over. They think you're drinking. They take your blood. They, they draw your blood. OK, so we're saying that with a 1911, if you're charged. And if you're, you get pulled over with a handgun in your vehicle, OK, and they think that you, you know, you've been drinking, they draw your blood by now calling your system. That's a class A misdemeanor under 1911. Currently, the way the law is. You have to be over the .08 if you don't have a license. So if you don't have a handgun license, you have a handgun in your vehicle, it would have to be .08 before you get that DWI or get charged with a Class B or Class A misdemeanor. But it's not like that after 1911 goes into effect. When 1911 goes into effect, that means that they remove the limit. Okay, You remove that limit, and now it's a Class A misdemeanor. It's not a Class C it's a class A. Go ahead. Oh, well, yeah, okay. you hit it. You hit it right on the head. Um, right now, uh, being intoxicated while carrying is is purely up to officers' discretion. And uh, one of the great things about 375 is it defines intoxicated in the bill as having the same meaning as .08. Uh, so even if you are carrying and you go out and have a beer. Um, you know, you, you don't have to take the, you're not risking getting that class A, uh, misdemeanor for being intoxicated while carrying same thing when in your car, you, you know, they have to be able to definitively prove that while that weapon is on, on your hip, that you're, you blow at least a 0.08 before they can charge you with that. Um, which is another positive for 375, whereas 1911, everything's still up for interpretation as far as it goes for your handgun. Um, and further, uh, uh, you know, we go into, uh, oh, you, you mentioned how, uh, you still charged with a, you can still lose your license if you're charged with a felony. Uh, you can petition, you can petition a judge to keep your license or your right to carry if you don't have a license, if you want. But, uh, that means Ken Paxton cannot carry right now. That means that Dwayne Stovall cannot carry right now because they've both been charged with felonies. And, you know, I thought that in this country we were innocent until proven guilty. It seems to be a big violation of due process, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, but one thing is I want to ask, because we're always talking about handgun this, handgun this, especially with 1911. Would also these rulings affect long guns for people as well? Maybe a hunter going and traveling and you pass it through a town with no refusal weekend? I mean, would that affect something like that? Um, the, the way that I read 1911 is it specifically says handguns, so long guns would not be uh, effective, uh, not be affected under 1911. Right. So it's just like um, it's just but, like what the current law is now. So if a person had a handgun license right now, um, you know, you would have to fall under the handgun license. Okay, hold on. Yeah, I just want to I'm make. Sorry? Yeah, hold, I'm sorry. Hold on. Someone's calling. Oh, there we go. All right, we took care of that. All right, so <laughs> just, just like he's downstairs, just like the handgun license law, um, uh, a person with a handgun license, and if you, you know, you get stopped by police and they think you're intoxicated, then you know, yes, you can you can lose. The, it's all about the handgun. Is what yeah. it's about. It's not about the long gun. Yeah, just want to so make you sure. Have, you can yeah. have you can have an AR-15, AK-47 mm-hmm. in your vehicle, and. Um, and, and, you know, go to come down from the deer mm-hmm. lease there uh, mm-hmm. and stop off at the pub 
have long guns in your vehicle, not handgun, mm-hmm. long guns, and you know you're fine. Yeah, I just want to make sure because it's just it's been hammered. Night, you know, handgun, handgun, handgun. You know, and it's kind of like, well, what about this? Does this affect it? Because you know, without someone at least asking, well, does it affect it? You know, it, someone could slip something in there and you know misinterpret it and it could create another big giant mess. So. Just thought I'd ask for the people out there who's wondering. No, not. And that, let's go to the phone lines. Let me go to Jeff in Arizona. Jeff, you on would come and talk it. Line three. Hi, hi Mike. Hey, uh, what's going on? Going? All right. Hey, not bad. I figured I'd offer some insight from uh, someone who lives in a constitutional carry state. Um, as you guys may have known, um, Arizona has been a constitutional carry state since around 2010, 2011. And uh, having moved here, you know, I'm, I'm used to living in states where a licensing requirement uh, with a proficiency exam is mandated. So when I first moved to Arizona, I was a little bit uh, apprehensive, but uh, I, I actually realized and I did some research and since that and the data shows that since the passing of constitutional carry in Arizona, the actual actually the violent crime rate has gone down. Um, I know a lot of there there people who talk about the potential for constitutional carry to result in higher gun crimes, but the data just doesn't back that. But I think that uh, the potential point of concern, even amongst uh, the gun-owning community, is that uh, when you take away the licensing requirements, you take away the requirement to have to take a class uh, before you get a CCW license, um, you, you risk people becoming a liability in real defensive situations um, that can't really be addressed by legislation um, unless, you know, it becomes a slippery slope. But I think it's a, the only way we can uh, address this is that the gun only community needs to be able to police ourselves or someone else is going to try to do it for us. Um, so in order to assuage these fears, we got to make sure that we're training regularly and that we need to push our fellow gun owners to train and be proficient and responsible with their firearms, uh, or else, you know, with every uh, accident or neg- ne- incidents of negligence, it just uh, comes down and looks bad on us. So right now, things are great in Arizona. You guys are not you're not seeing any problems, crimes going down. But you're saying, hey, we need to remain vigilant. We need to continue to practice, continue to you know tell our loved ones, hey, go to the gun range, uh, you know, seek. Get some help from an instructor and, and still do those things because as a as an instructor, you know I actually should be against constitutional carry. You know because I you, know, you would think I, and I think a lot of people are, but I'm not because I know I trust the people that I come in contact with. I trust uh, the gun lovers that I know that hey they're going to seek me out. You know why they're going to seek me out and they're going to uh, want to get that training because if you have a good program. If you, um, you know, have a, a a good you know curriculum, then people are definitely going to take that class and reach out to you, and just like they're doing right now, uh, people a lot of people are saying, hey, uh, well, not that many people are taking my handgun class right now. Well, you know, maybe that you need to look within yourself, because I don't have that problem. Our classes are still full. You know, we're still doing classes on Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, whatever. You know, and we still have a, a nice sized class because. You know, we have a good program. We have a good curriculum. If you do, then you you have substance, something that people are thriving for. They're going to come to you and they're going to want to learn that stuff. And and right. Right. And I absolutely agree with everything you said. Um, what I'm trying to say is this, is that uh, the, the issues with constitutional care isn't about 
you know, potential rise in violent crime. That the data doesn't support that uh, that accusation. The the point of concern is that when you take away licensing requirements and people don't have to take a class, you know, anti-gun people start getting worried. Oh, oh can I trust this person to carry in a in a real life situation? And you can't really solve that by legislation. The only thing that we can do to assuage those fears is that we as a community need to remain vigilant and we need to make sure that we're proficient. If you're the kind of person that goes out to the range regularly, even if you shoot like 50 rounds uh, per session every two weeks, you're already training more than I would say the majority of the gun only population. And if you see one of your friends or family members who's not doing that, well, you need to tell them about it and they're wrong. And if you're the kind of person and you go to the range and you practice your carry gun and you can't, you can't consistently have shots in the A zone from three to seven yards, you need, you need to train harder. Um, that's the only way we can uh, combat this mindset and, and uh, alleviate these concerns from the gun on the community is we need to be able to police ourselves. Hmm. All right. And, and let me – go ahead. I was to say, well, with the whole trust factor, do we trust anything anymore? Like I feel like you know when you first meet somebody, you're not, you're not very trustworthy. It takes time. So for all these people saying, well, we have trust issues, you don't even trust them to begin with. So, I mean, the only thing that I think he had a good point on is – at just training more and giving these guys the reasons who do try to say that to take it away, you know, to take their ammunition away, so to speak, so they're not firing back at us. And so, like I said, I mean, it's trust isn't a thing. It's a dangerous, scary place out there anyways to begin with, and I don't think anybody trusts it. All right. All right, so let me uh, go back to Derek. What you got for us, Derek? Well, your last call. Your last caller brought up a very interesting point about the uh, homicide rate in Arizona. Um, I'm a I'm a junkie for uh, statistics, and uh, I was compiling some statistics over the constitutional carry state versus Texas. And one thing that I noticed about Arizona in particular is that their murder and non-negligent hom- or, I'm sorry, their murder and non-negligent manslaughter rate for the first time dropped below Texas. Uh, it, you know, those trends kind of match, they mirrored each other. But Arizona's dropped below Texas as, you know, right after they enacted constitutional carry. In 2010, Arizona's murder rate was 6.4 per 100,000 and Texas's was 5.0. In 2015, Arizona's was 4.5 and Texas's was 4.8. And, you know, a, a further a further point on this, we already have constitutional carry for long guns. Why is this so hard to, to enact with handguns? I mean... You would think that if somebody was going to have malicious intent, they would be loading up with everything and anything that they could. You would see, you would expect to see violent crime and homicide rates through the roof in Texas because uh, we don't have any real regulation on the carrying of long guns. But we want to overregulate handguns to the point where it's, you know, it's absurd. Derek, it I makes agree. no sense. Derek, I agree with you, man. I mean, like, the fact is, if somebody wants to do harm, they're going to do harm. I mean, you can even see it over in Europe right now. I had an Italian guy in this week, and he said, you know, French is going, the uh, not the French, France is going down the drain. He said he lives outside of Paris, and he says, Paris, you know, the one city of love is so filthy, nasty, and dirty. And he's like, I want a gun. I need a gun. And, you know, the fact is, if people want to do malicious harm anyways, they're going to do it, whether... Whether it's with their bare fist, you know, knives. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're going to do harm, and so yeah, you're it right. It goes back to it goes back to the old adage that guns don't kill people; people do. Exactly. It, it really boils down to what what is in the person's heart. And enacting, if you were to repeal every single gun law federally and state except for the Second Amendment tomorrow, 
homicides would not skyrocket because all of a sudden now people just think that, oh, we've enacted the purge, so let's go kill everybody that we can. <laughs> that happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, because an armed society is a polite society. You know, I don't want to, as you know, we probably don't want to make some random guy mad to begin with, let alone that if the guy's armed, you know, so, I mean. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I know it's, uh, so people were wondering, you know, well, well, let me tell you this. Uh, as far as 1911 goes, when the, the bill first came out, you actually had board members from Texas Gun Sense. Board members from Texas Gun Sense actually liked 1911. They didn't like 375, but they liked 1911 because of the eligibility requirements that were listed under there. Because they said, oh, well, these are the same requirements as the, you know, the handgun license. So they actually like that. And whenever you have an anti-gun group that likes portions of your bill or likes your bill, then that is going to be a problem. You know, you definitely should shouldn't take a we, look at it. Mike, shouldn't we be using their curriculum as kind of a guideline as what we don't want? It's like, okay, well, we want to see this, 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 and this, and then we should make sure, let's make sure that this, 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 and this are not enacted, you know? <laughs> I, 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 they take a look, you know, if I hear someone from Texas Gun Sense, you know, or Gun Senseless tell me that they like something, I'm definitely going to go the opposite direction. All right, we're talking about House Bill 375. We're talking about House Bill 1911. Pros and cons for or against. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more anytime at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're, we're talking about constitutional carry, talking about pros and cons, whether you're for it or against it. Also talking about which bill do you lean toward? Do you lean toward 375 or 1911? Do you 375. Or do you like them both? You know, so just trying to get people's opinions. Our phone, our call-in number is 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-5483. Come and talk it. All right, so let me go to Janai, my co-host Janai. So there are some alcohol bills out there. Quite you know. a, there's quite a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and, and the reason I, I want to talk about those bills because, uh, hey, you know, we're gun lovers. I love the drink. You know, I love a drink with my meal. And I need to know. That's for sure. <laughs> I need to know what, whether some of the alcohol bills are going to affect, you know, me carrying my, my firearm. And there's some bills because right now, you know, I went out to eat brunch this morning. And I wanted to have a mimosa with my brunch, and I was a little early, you know, because I, I didn't realize that they couldn't sell me, couldn't serve me uh, before 10 a.m. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so I couldn't have my mimosa. So are there any bills that actually address that? There, there's um, HB, uh, there's actually two um, pertaining to beer and wine on Sunday, HB 327 and HB 1231. 327, okay. Yeah, so, I, yeah, okay. Three, you said three... 327 and then HB 1231 both are f fairly similar. Okay. And they've both been, re okay, referred to license, licensing and administrative procedures. Okay. So I'm going to have to follow this bill and and definitely go to the committee when this bill actually comes up. The author is Canales, so that's a good thing. I like Representative Canales, so he's a good guy. So, yeah, definitely want to agree into this bill and make sure I understand it and see if we can get some of that stuff changed because I, I, don't, I don't like 
you know, there's a time limit on it. You know, I can't you know, do something until a certain time. And, yeah, yeah, I would agree. There's um, there's several pertaining to places handguns may be carried. I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, that would have to do with alcohol. Which one is those? Uh, like HB 560. Um, All right, 560. So that's been related. That's been referred to Homeland Security and Public Safety. It relates to the places where a person may carry a handgun, the person's license to carry a handgun, and the certain related criminal offenses by Springer. All right, so I have to take a look at that one. I'm not familiar with that one at all. Um, I don't know if Justin or Derek are familiar with that one at all. Uh, if you are, chime in and let us know because I'm definitely not. I think it's this one. Can you hear me, Michael? Yeah, I hear you. Go ahead. One thing that I feel like you really need to drive home, and I want people to understand this, so so that when somebody tells them that HB 1911 will not affect reciprocity, I want them to fully understand what it is that we're talking about so that, so that they're on the same page. Okay. 411.172, that is the handgun uh, license requirements in Texas. HB 1911 adds us to those requirements but makes it to where you do not need the license. And what happened is on their third committee substitute, they're striking some of the requirements for a license. How much of the license requirements do you think that you can take out before we start losing reciprocity? That's the question. So when you start striking out different lines like uh, paragraph one, two, three, four, and five, whatever from 411.172, it's going to affect whether our license can be recognized in other states. Like, for instance, and, and let me explain it to people this way. My parents live in the state of Georgia. My parents have a Texas handgun license. All right, so since they have a Texas handgun license, but they're not a resident of Texas, they actually live in another state. With that Texas handgun license, they cannot carry in Florida, Colorado, South Carolina, or Michigan because those states will not allow you to carry with a license from another state that you're not a resident of. So they have to actually get a Georgia license to carry in Florida, Colorado, South Carolina, or Michigan. They can't carry on the Texas license. So when you start striking out some of the eligibility, you're going to start losing some of those states. Some of the states are going to say, hey, whoa, well, if, you know, there, there are states out there that, that want, if you're charged, you know, or convicted of a class A or B misdemeanor, you know, you can't have a hand, you know, can't have a license. They like that requirement. So if you remove that requirement, then state A, state B, state C, may drop us and not recognize the Texas handgun license and won't be able to carry there. So it will affect our reciprocity when we start striking out the eligibility, excuse me, for the handgun license. So that's what Justin's talking about, right, Justin? Yes, and I, I don't want to say that we can't remove some of those requirements and keep reciprocity, like make it, you know, figure out who the least restrictive is. Yeah, but the problem is people don't know. People don't, you're not going to know until you contact yeah. that state. And you really, you know, you're really not going to know until that state looks at it, that their legislative session, they look at it or, or their, you know, attorney general looks at it and says, hey, well, you know, these are the, our requirements. So we're going to we may drop you. No one's going to know until they contact each individual state. You can't contact the OAG here in Texas and ask the OAG in Texas if um, if Colorado is going to drop us or not. The OAG in Texas not doesn't know. We have to contact yeah, Colorado. Absolutely not up to them. It's up to the other states whether they they whether or not they res, uh, they have reciprocity with our license. It's completely up to them. It's not up to us. Exactly. So the only thing we have to go by is is by looking at what other states have done, and what their requirements are, and whether or not it's accepted in those certain states. Right. 
So and that's he, all we have to go on. So you got to look at the big picture and and the. The way our laws are, the way these bills come out, these bills are not going to lay it out for you. They're not going to spell everything out. They're not going to draw you a line and and explain it to you. It's just going to put it there, and you have to figure it out. And there are consequences for bad legislation. There are going to be some consequences from this. Just like after the last session, which I actually liked it, by the way, what happened after the last session, the whole big stink was they did not want people with a handgun license to openly carry a handgun on a college campus. That was all they were talking about. We don't want license holders to openly carry a handgun on a college campus. That's all they were focused on. Handgun, college campus. That's it. Session ended. The bill passed. The next day, I came out and said, all right, now we can open carry our handgun and conceal carry our handgun on the street, sidewalks, walkways, parking lots, garages of elementary school, middle school, high school. They're like, <gasps> they lost their crap right then and there. Yeah, exactly. You know why? Because you didn't say school. You said college campus so that means on the college campus you can't openly carry your handgun on the street sidewalks walkways parking lots garages of college campus but you can't openly carry that handgun on the street sidewalks walkways parking lots of garages of an elementary school middle school high school because they totally forgot schools and it's it wording means a lot and it's not going to spell it out for you people i'm sorry you have to understand the texas gun laws you can't be a facebook lawyer when it comes to this crap there's no joke here. So if I tell you that this is going to cause some consequences, then you better wake your butt up and pay attention because I'm not saying this for no reason. This crap is going to screw us around and they're going to screw us with no grease. I'm calling numbers 512-643-5483. Come and talk it. Tell me while I'm wrong. Go ahead, Justin. Line two. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay, there you go. Go ahead. All uh, right. What, what was your what was your question? I'm sorry, it was like no, a, I mean, what you yeah, <laughs> what you got on 1911? Uh, well, well, again, like I say, 1911. You know, do I like the fact that it that it is certainly allowing more individuals to to carry in the state? Absolutely, but I do not like the method they're going about it. I mean, the requirements to carry within the state and the requirements to carry outside of the state should totally be separate. And you know, and again, to not get rid of the reciprocity. Now the, the the gun right the you know the so-called gun rights organizations that are that are pushing 1911, they understand that if they put us into that box, that's a box we're never going to get out of because again you cannot get rid of all those requirements in 411.172. Otherwise, you can kiss the handgun license goodbye, and then we lose our reciprocity. So that's why we think that the requirements to carry within the state and the requirements to carry outside of the state should be two totally separate things. And another argument to that is you know. If you don't like the handgun license here in Texas, you, you can always get one from another state. You can get a non-resident uh, LTC from any other state that has that has uh, laws that you like or a fee that you like or you know whatever the requirements are that you you like better than the ones in Texas. See, the problem is, the problem with 1911 is we're going to wake up one morning and we're not going to have any choice. To whereas with the LTC, we do have a choice right now. We've got several states we can get LTCs from. Hmm. And 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 Brent um, asked a question. Brent said, "Did I did I just say that the Florida?" That uh, L- Texas LTC is not recognized in Florida. No, what I said, Brent, was that right now, if you're a resident of Texas and you have a Texas handgun license, your handgun license will be recognized in a certain amount of states. And if you're a resident of Texas, yes, you can carry in Florida, you can carry in Colorado, South Carolina, or Michigan. But my parents are resident residents of Georgia. Since they're a resident of Georgia, they're not a resident of Texas, but they do have a Texas handgun license. For them, since they're not a resident, they cannot carry with a Texas handgun license because they're not a resident of Texas. So they cannot carry 
um, in Florida, Colorado, South Carolina, or Michigan, because those states will not recognize the Texas license since they're not a resident of Texas. But if you're a Texas resident, you can carry in those states. So I want to make sure I clear that up for Brent. All right, so let me let me go back one more time, and I'll come back to you, Justin and Derek. But I want to go back to Janai. Uh, Janai, we're talking about the alcohol. What are some of those other alcohol bills over there? Um, there's some pertaining to powdered alcohol. How how is that uh, going to be classified? Um, Ten seventy four. I'm not really sure. It's it's per- pertaining to sales of distilled spirits. Um, Four thirty seven. Applications for alcohol beverage permit. There's just a lot of them are just repeating. Now, how were you able to find some of these? Did you just search alcohol or what did you do? I just search. I, I looked through each bill. I For whatever reason, I could not. There's a search button on there. And but it wouldn't pull it, it up? It wouldn't pull it up when I put wow. alcohol, alcoholic beverage. It wouldn't do anything. So I literally, literally was going through each bill. Um, and I, I would definitely pay, you know, pay close attention to the HB 327 by Representative Canales. Because um, if we can if we can actually fix that requirement and change the time um, or remove that, you know, because there's some states that are I'm some I'm sorry, some counties, some counties that are dry counties. And, you know, I don't know to me, to me, that's just a problem in it. You know, just for me, I don't know. Maybe it's local control. Maybe that's an issue. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I especially here in Travis County, I really would like to be able to, you know, walk in, you know, brunch. And be able to have whatever I want to drink while I'm, you know, eating my brunch. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also inside the studio, you know, we have um, we have Philip Turner. Uh, Philip uh, is an activist, and Philip is what I call a law enforcement activist. Philip goes around and he actually films law enforcement, you know, in their line of duty uh, while they're working. And Philip, you know, Philip's got a lot of things happening that that I think are going unnoticed because. Philip comes in contact with law enforcement, and when Philip does it, he's actually really quiet. He's polite, uh, very professional, and it's it's funny how the the tables will turn, and he finds himself either in handcuffs or being mistreated or whatever, and he has to take that situation to court. And Philip wins. He pushes it to the court system, and that police department pays up, and they have to pay up. So and, and someone needs to get fired behind this stuff, you know, because if you're violating your your law enforcement policy, if you're violating uh, the law, then you, you know, you need to be you know, terminated or at least prosecuted. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, because there is House Bill 2908, which is coming up, I believe, this week. I have to look that up. It's House Bill 2908. It enhances just about any crime if it occurs because of a person's service as a police officer. The wording is different from other hate crimes, and it appears to involve less intentionality. But that's not – no, that's not a lawyer's reading. It also enhances some key level – I'm sorry, key low-level crimes like terroristic threats, simple assault, and unlawful restraint to various serious felony offenses if they occur on account of an officer's official duties. You got to kind of think about that. OK, so let's put that in perspective, bring it down to reality a little bit. So truck drivers, truck drivers, you know, are supposed to be professionals and they're held to a higher standard than your regular drivers, your car drivers, because if you're a commercial truck driver, you're actually held to a higher standard. So you you can't even you know, have a certain amount of alcohol that li- there's a certain limit you can't even have in your personal vehicle if you're considered a commercial driver. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're a commercial driver, you, you, it's not the point of weight. It's a little lower than that. Yeah. All right. So they're held to a much higher standard as a commercial driver because they're supposed to be a professional. Rightfully so. The problem that some people have is if you're a law enforcement officer, it seems like, you know, the law enforcement officers in certain situations are not held to any standard at all when it comes to if something is done wrong or incorrect, whether it's speeding, exceeding the speed limit. We just saw one of the assistant chiefs um, actually get pulled over and he was going like 90 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone. That's reckless driving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's reckless driving. You know, if you, so that's actually, um, you know, that's not a class C misdemeanor. <laughs> so, you know, um, they're not held to, you know, in certain circumstances, they're not held to any standards at all, but they should be held to a much higher standard is what should happen. So if I'm a law enforcement officer and I do something wrong, I should be held to a much higher standard because I'm a professional. I've been trained and I've been taught what the laws are. Correct, Philip? That's right. <laughs> and so you've you've had uh, some situations that you've been in. There's a a case here in Austin, Texas, uh, j- that was recently on the news. What was that? Tell me about Austin. Um, well, that was uh, a recording from a traffic incident back in November. Okay, okay. And Philip, you know what? We're going to come back to you. Just we're going to do a hard break here and come back right after the break. Uh, we're talking with Philip Turner. He's going to talk to us about his interaction with law enforcement. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening. Come and talk. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. There's no safe place. There's no safe space. There's no safe place. Except, you know, your license holder, non-license holder. There are some safe spaces. But hopefully we're going to pass constitutional carry and everyone will have a safe space. (laughs) All right. So we're sitting here talking with Philip Turner. Philip, so you're telling us about uh, your interaction with uh, the Austin Police Department here in Austin, Texas. Um, I've been occasionally going out filming uh, APD. Um, they have been polite and cordial, and I've always wondered why. And it never struck to me that there was a complaint that was launched back in November from an incident where James and Jesse were harassing me. These are two APD officers. They harassed me for a complete straight hour while I was filming a traffic stop. Now, this was not about officer safety at this point. This officer came to me, stood within two feet from me, and pulled out his flashlight and shined it in my camera. And his goal was to pretty much intimidate me into either leaving or provoking me to do something to uh, start a physical encounter. Now, how did you come across uh, the one officer that had a vehicle pulled over? Um, typically, uh, this was like, a, I think, I believe it was a weekend. And typically, I always go down to 6th Street to do some filming. And I have this uh, tradition or routine that I would go to 6th Street, and if I see traffic stops along the way, I would get out and film them. So I was taking uh, from 183 to Runberg and then 35 straight to uh, 6th Street. And I just happened to be heading to Runberg and saw that uh, traffic stop. Okay, so you came across this officer with a, a person pulled over, and so you started filming, and then the second officer pulled up and actually started flashing his 
his flashlight right in your camera so you you, you couldn't see. And so you, then, you know, you there were some, you know, words going back and forth. You know, why are you doing this? And the officer was asking you, you know, well, who are you? And, and you know, you really don't have to tell him because you're not doing anything. You're standing a, a really a great distance away. So you're not interfering with what they're doing. Um, so. And then it kind of changed a little bit. Because you're there for a while, and then they started, like, kind of following you and wouldn't let you go to your vehicle? That's right. And, you know, at that point, uh, the officer made it clear that he didn't care about department policy. He didn't care, uh, you know, that I had the right to film police officers. And you actually were telling him the the policy that he, you know, needed to take a look at it and, and actually read it and be familiar with. What was that policy number you were yelling at? Uh, 302, and I was uh, interacting with the community. Okay. And so... It got to a point where you guys well, it got to a point where you're standing you know, on the sidewalk and you're trying to go back to your vehicle. And then they refused to let you go to your vehicle. They said you couldn't cross the yeah, and you couldn't step on the grass or anything. And they just would block you from getting to your vehicle to leave. They told you to leave, but refused to allow you to leave to get to your vehicle. Right. And, you know, that was just like a bully tactic, tactic right there. Um, they wanted to wait until the tow truck got there to remove the car from the scene. And then I would be allowed to get in my car. But this guy was already arrested and already hauled off to jail. And they were saying, you need to leave. Well, okay, I'm trying to leave. I'm trying to go to my vehicle. No, you can't go to your vehicle, but you need to leave. Well, if I, in order for me to leave, I need to get to my vehicle. Well, don't step and don't touch me, by the way. Right. (laughs) There's no way I could walk. I literally tried to walk to the left, to the right. I did a whole 360 around the scene and they would not allow me to get to my car. And it just got to the point to where I had to step back a good distance away because it got to the point to where uh, these officers were grabbing me and shoving me. And I was like, look, look, dude, you know, leave me alone. Get your hands off me. You know, I, I, I felt nervous. I felt I feared for my life at that point because I felt like there was no one else out there with me that night. Now, that happened. When, when did that happen? That was like two years ago. That was uh, actually no, a couple of months ago. Couple I think months uh, ago. Okay. seven months ago. It was actually in November. Okay, so November of 2016. Mm-hmm. Now, because I noticed that, you know, for the last three, four months, APD's been really nice and polite. I've kind of noticed. I noticed the, the atmosphere has actually changed. You know, I, when I see an officer on, the, on the, the road there, out there on the road, I say, hi. They're very nice. They're polite. The atmosphere's really changed, and I'm, I'm, I can't figure out why. It's because our Arcevedo isn't here anymore. I, well, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, honestly, right. I can't figure out why, but it is changed, though. Yeah, I I would agree because I'm downtown all the time. And in the past, I've seen some of the most unfriendly police officers I've ever seen. But lately, you're right. Yeah, they're very, it. very nice, very polite, cordial. I mean, it's it's a good relationship. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you do what you do because those two officers were what? They were suspended? They were suspended. Uh, James was suspended 20 days without pay. And Jesse was suspended uh, 10 days without pay. But the funny thing about uh, James is he was also he, he, not only was he suspended 20 days without pay, he was also put on a year probation. So if he gets a, another similar complaint that's sustained to this incident here, he's going to be suspended indefinitely without the chance to appeal. And then now, now here's the problem with that, OK, because there's a difference between suspending someone and terminating them, because if you terminate them, they lose their T-Cole. If you suspend them, they can go to another uh, another department. And that is where you, you know, you bring into the fray of gypsy cop. 
You've heard of that term. Right. Gypsy cop, where, you know, you can go from department to department. So when they start playing with those little, little words, I, 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 I'm I, sorry. I'm just a stickler for the law. I'm just I'm a stickler for rules and stuff like that. And when you suspend an officer, then, you know, that they can actually quit, leave and go to another department, get another job and start off over fresh. And, and just like nothing else happened. And so and, and that and that's a problem with that. Um, so and that's something that needs to be addressed with the legislature. You know, if there's you know, we have a problem officer and they're going from department to department. We actually need to do something. Now, have you has that case gone to court? Did you file a, uh, anything in civil court? Uh, well, the, the funny thing about that was um, I had a Fort Worth case go to the Fifth Circuit, which set a precedent to allow um, filming of police. And it's actually an established First Amendment right. And that was ruled on February 16 of 2017. So that covers the states of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And what that does is it's an established right to film police officers. Now, if a police officer interferes with your right to film, they'll automatically lose qualified immunity, no questions asked. Now, um, that incident there happened before the ruling. So what this ruling does, it pretty much null and voids any previous incident before February 16th saying it wasn't a clearly established right then, but, but now we're saying it is now. Mm, so going, so going forward, forward, it's a violation of the First Amendment right, and it's a clearly established right, and that police officer will lose qualified immunity. Tell us about what happened in Fort Worth that brought this case to the uh, that circuit. Um, I was actually out in Fort Worth and doing a little bit of filming. Um, this, was, this was like near uh, Nashville Road. There was a police department there. It was actually built like a castle among the buildings and neighborhoods and houses in that area. Um, the area was run down, a lot of vacant businesses, homes, uh, buildings were torn down, sidewalks are just messed up, trash everywhere. And then you see this police station with these nice new vehicles. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, like, how come this money couldn't go in to the community, making it better? And I decided to get that on film. Um, was filming a arrest at the high school that was actually not a, like two blocks away from the police station walked back to the police station and started taking a couple of shots on the opposite side of the sidewalk. Now, as I was walking on the sidewalk, I was approached by two officers who confronted me about filming, wanted me to ID, which I refused. And that prompted them to grabbing me, handcuffing me and throwing me back into the police car, hotboxing me. Now, and I'm going to ask you about hotboxing in a second here, because mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason I ask you about Fort, there's a bunch of reasons I asked you to explain the story about Fort Worth. And I'll, I'll lead everybody into that. So what, why do you, why did they feel they had to, you know, well, let me ask you this. Why, why do you think that you have to ID yourself? Why do they think that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, do you have to ID yourself? You do not. Why not? Because Texas Penal, Penal Code 3802 says you do not have to ID yourself unless you're lawfully arrested. It only becomes a crime or it only becomes an offense if you give a fictitious name, resident, or date of birth to a police officer who has detained you. And I don't see how peace officers can get that mixed up. And you up. weren't detained yet. I was detained. You weren't detained at that time. I wasn't detained. But when he said I was detained, I had the option to either give him my information or not. Or not. But if I do, I just can't lie about it or it becomes an offense. Okay. And now they put you inside. The, they handcuff you, put you in the vehicle. Right. And hot boxing. What's that? Uh, they had the windows rolled up. AC was not running, and, you know, this was during the summertime. Now, the reason I brought that up, because a state representative, well, the reason I ask you that, to, to explain that, because a state rep 
filed a bill this session, uh, and his name is, oh, man, it escapes me right now. Uh, it'll come to me. Uh, he actually filed a bill that said that if you forget, you're a, you're a dog lover. You're a dog lover. Oh, yeah, I read bill. that same bill earlier today, and I knew you were going, yeah. You're a dog lover, and you forget and you leave your dog in the vehicle for five minutes or more, and they cannot find you. They can break your window and take and save the dog, which is great. Yeah. I love it. Okay. But then they're also going to charge you with a class A misdemeanor. Yeah. But yet they'll put a human in the back of a Representative car. Villalba. I knew it would come to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He filed this bill, uh, Villalba, Rep- State Representative Villalba out of North Texas, filed this bill that says, you know, if, if you're a dog lover, because that's who carries their dog in their vehicle, someone who loves their animal. For some reason, you forget something happens, you go somewhere, whatever, and something takes a little longer, and you left that dog in the vehicle. It doesn't say what the temperature is. It doesn't say if it's you know 75 degrees, 65 degrees. It doesn't say if it's 90 degrees. It doesn't say anything. It just says you leave that dog in the vehicle over five minutes, and they have to break the window, take the dog out of the vehicle. They can't find you. Uh, they're going to charge you with a Class A misdemeanor. And I thought that was very serious. So, and 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 I and. I testified against this bill because I said the point that I brought up was if something happens, if I do something today in this building, you haul me out of here, put me in handcuffs, arrest, you arrest me, you put me in back of a vehicle and you, you roll that window up. Don't turn the AC on. Are we going to charge that police officer with a class A misdemeanor? And no one can answer that question because, of course not. You know, you're not going to. That is what I'm talking about when it comes to law enforcement. We got to hold law enforcement officers to the exact same standard as civilians. I'm not even asking them to hold them to a higher standard. Yeah. I'm not saying hold them to a higher standard. I'm saying hold them to the same standard. You know, as when it comes to Chapter 9 of the Texas Penal Code, when it comes to use of force and daily force, civilians have to follow the same law as law enforcement officers. Everyone's got to follow that same Chapter 9 when it comes to use of force and daily force and all of our laws. So... You know, that, that's what I'm talking about. We need to hold them to the same standard as a regular civilian. If they do something wrong, they need to be prosecuted for that. And that is what's not happening. So that's why, you know, I wanted you to explain that a little bit. Okay, so that case ended up going to the, you said Fifth Circuit? Fifth Circuit of Appeals. Okay. And you won that case. I did. Any. Oh. I was actually uh, pretty excited. My lawyer delivered the news to me while I was uh, See, he is so, about to go to class. He's so calm. He's so quiet. That is a really big deal. That went to the Fifth Circuit. Of, fifth Circuit. That means that law has been changed for this area. That means that, you know, someone thought that you couldn't do what you were doing. And the Fifth Circuit say, uh-uh-uh, yes, he does have a right to do that. And that stands whole true to what states? Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. That is a really big deal. This guy will do – Philip Turner is doing more for your rights than any legislature at the Capitol. I'm telling you right now when it comes to protecting you as an individual being pulled over inside the road. Now, let me go back to Justin and Derek because the reason I brought that up, because with House Bill 1911 on line one, line two, Justin and Derek, House Bill uh, 1911, if you're charged with a felony or – if an officer, you know, in order to verify all these little different, well, let's go back to verify all the different things in nineteen um, in four eleven dot one seventy two, the things that are still in in that bill, the eligibility uh, requirements. In order real, to verify, quick, all right, go ahead. Uh, I would also like to point up the fact that uh, Jason Vialba, the same guy that introduced that bill last session, he inter- introduced a bill that would make it I- illegal 
to uh, videotape or, or uh, photograph a police officer. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, I remember it. That's why. That's another reason I brought it up. I sure remember yeah, that. So, I mean, that, <laughs> that, that completely pertains to what it is that uh, your guest is doing. So I, I don't know if he was aware of that bill or not. But, yeah, he, he's, he's certainly championed a lot of uh, uh, anti-liberty bills. Oh, he's, sure. a, he's, a, he's a consistent tyrant. You know, it's yeah. still to this day. Consistent tyrant. I wouldn't I wouldn't no. spit on him if he was on fire. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Derek chime in for the rest of the stuff. All right, so 411.172, the eligibility requirements that are still in the bill of House Bill 1911, those requirements that are still there, okay? Um, ah, man, you just, you, you, you just, all right, we're up against the break. So we're going to come back, and then I'll, I'll talk about it. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more anytime at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we got we got a very short time left here. So let me get all this get all this in. So let me bring Derek back into the conversation. All right, so House Bill 1911. You know, under the eligibility requirements, Derek, after the committee substitute number one, committee substitute number two, I know they're probably working on committee substitute number three now, meaning that this bill has some problems. That's why they're making corrections to it and fixing it. They're on the they're I think they're on the third committee substitute because we're bringing all this stuff up, by the way. Why not just set it on fire? If, well, if we didn't it. bring this stuff up, there would be nothing to fix. So obviously something's wrong with the bill. They're having they're on the third committee substitute, which means that when we get to the House floor, there's going to be an amendment to the amendment to the amendment to the amendment to the amendment. OK, but Derek, if an officer stops you, uh, they will need to verify all the requirements that are still left. On the 411.172. So that means that an officer stops you and you're carrying a handgun in your vehicle. You don't have a license or anything. You're carrying that handgun on September the 1st. If this bill goes into effect, they can hold you. They can detain you. They can take you to jail and hold you while they verify if you owe back child support, while they verify what are some of the other requirements that are still left on there. Well, under the current committee sub, they actually strike out the child support and back taxes portion, which is, it, it's okay. You know, like I said, these kept, these sets of things, whenever you go into the eligibility, starts messing with reciprocity. But uh, they still can check for if you have a re- restraining order affecting a spousal re- relationship. So if you're going through a divorce or you come home late one night and your wife doesn't like it, boom, guess what? You got a restraining order against you and you lose your right to carry. And the officer will, um, have, to, will have to verify that if you're carrying a handgun before they release you. All right, go ahead. What's oh, the next absolutely. one? Um, you still, <clears throat> sorry, uh, you still need to, um, you need to be 21. You need to, uh, you can't have any felonies, felony charges, uh, felony convictions. Um, and all of these things, they require a legal detention of an individual f- for the sole purpose of the fact that they are carrying in order to enforce them. So with one hand, I'm going to give you your constitutional right. But on the other hand, I'm going to take something away from you. I can pull you on the side of the road and detain you until I verify, you know, a certain amount of information here. Because you're carrying a handgun, you don't have a license, but because you're carrying it constitutionally, I can actually detain you until I verify that you're an outstanding citizen. and You meet the eligibility requirement. 
Right. There's no other way to enforce it. So you would require a lawful detention. So if if you're out there carrying without a license, you're going to be con- or even with a license, you're going to be constantly worried that if a, if a cop sees you, all he needs to do is see you and say, you come here. I'm going to detain you until I can figure out if you're legally allowed to carry that right now. So what so what we what we did last session, you know, <laughs> will now be undone this session. Absolutely. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand how these bills spell out in the end. What you're going to get, what you're going to lose. Okay? They can't give it to you with the left hand and turn around and take it from you with the right. And this is not right, and this is what we're fighting for. This is what we're fighting against. And the more we bring up this stuff, they're listening. They're listening right now. Trust me. Oh, they're listening. Because the more we bring it up, the more they turn around and try to fix this bill. Committee substitute number three. When he gets to the House floor, amendment number one, amendment number two, amendment number three. Speaker, amendment number 10. Speaker, amendment number 20. The more we bring it up, the more they'll fix it until it gets right. They're not going to do it unless we bring this stuff up. And that is why I'm talking about this bill. That is why I'm criticizing this bill because this is terrible. You can't give me something with my left hand and then turn around and take it back from the right. And don't forget, call the— I was going to say, don't forget to call the— Call the representatives and say, hey, this is I don't want this. I don't like this. Every time you call, it gets amplified, amplifies what we're trying to do. Go look them up. They're there for you. They're there to listen and to do what you're supposed you guys want. We're a country for the people, by the people. Go ahead, Derek. Absolutely. Uh, phone calls work all the time, as long as we keep calling and keep, keep that pressure on. And, you know, we could really save a lot of headache with this amendment process that you just brought up by just passing 375 out of, out of the committee getting it to calendars, getting it on the floor for a vote. Because 375, is, is it's not entirely perfect, but the things that it's lacking, I believe, are for another bill anyway. So 375 could pass as is, and I would be completely happy with it. And we wouldn't have to go to, through these amendment processes to fix the problems with 1911, that 1911 has. Exactly. All right, and so, and, and you know, and I really want to, well, first, before we go, because we got like five minutes left, let me go to Justin. Uh, what you got, Justin? Anything in closing? Lay it out for me. Um, I don't have the, the phone numbers handy because I'm driving right now. But uh, yeah, there's there's four representatives that if you want HB 375. Did you guys po- did you uh, post them on your Facebook or anything like that? I know he did on yeah, our emailing yeah. list. If you go to Lone Star Gun Rights on Facebook every single day during the week, we post up the phone numbers for the four representatives that are that are at this point it almost seems like they're refusing to sign on to hb 375 so definitely first thing monday morning go to our page lone star gun rights on facebook look at those phone numbers call them and don't stop calling them until this this uh bill is voted out of committee all right so is it on unlo- it can i find it on lone star gun rights four uh, on our main page on the main page okay i always have a problem pulling up the main page it never comes up for me so user user error yeah <laughs> Use your cargo. Oh, my goodness here. Just dog me out. Okay. All right. So I'm on the main page. Okay. So Lone Star Gun Rights main page. All right. So I'm yep. looking you scroll for. Down, look at the post from Friday. We posted up those phone numbers Friday morning. Like I say, we do this every single morning, every single day of the week, uh, except for the weekends, because there's no point calling them on the weekend. Well, if you wouldn't pack so much crap, I would get to it. You, know, you wouldn't post so much stuff here. Hey, man, we're busy. I, I see. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Got four minutes. Slower. 
These people are waiting. They're waiting to be let out the gate. Shut up. <laughs> okay, I, I'm not finding Does anybody fine. have a cricket soundtrack in there? I know, uh, I know, I know, right? Because <laughs> I'm not finding it fast enough. Anything Give me at all. one second and I'll pull it up. All right, cool. And then uh, Philip, Philip Turner, you know, you, you've had, there's another case that you have, I know we got four minutes, another case you have that's down south in South Texas where you're, you went to a police department to file a complaint against one of the officers and you videotaped you walking into the police, into the police department there to actually find out what the complaint process was. And I was shocked by what I saw in the video. I was shocked how they treated you. I was shocked, you know, how they wouldn't tell you what the process was and how they were just, you know, they told you, you know, the information, just wrong information. And I was really, you know, surprised by that. Uh, and so we'll, come, we'll talk about that here in a second. Okay, those phone numbers, the names and the phone numbers are uh, Representative Phil King. Um, his number is 512-463-0738. Representative Dwayne Burns. His number is 512-463-0538. Justin Holland. That's 512-463-0484. Representative John Ray. That's 512-463-0516. So all these numbers start with 512-463. So I'll read you the last four numbers. Representative Phil King, 0738. Representative Dwayne Burns, 0538. Representative Justin Holland, 0484. And these are some good lottery numbers, too. Play them. <laughs> Representative John Ray, 0516. Yeah, so let's play lottery. You know, you may win the lottery uh, this, this week here. So definitely play these numbers uh, and definitely give these guys a call. All right, and I want to thank Justin for coming on the show. I want to thank uh, Derek also uh, for coming on the show with uh, Lone Star Gun Rights and and explaining this bill to us. And like I said, we always get you know whoever to call in. I tell people all week long to call in and explain your position on these bills. Instead, they rather sit on Facebook and 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 talk about it that way. But when it's time to let's talk about it live on the radio on air, let's explain it. Then we get no shows. That's how it goes. All right. So this week, got House Bill 2908, which is going to be, uh, it's a Blue Lives Matter bill. We've explained, you know, you that bill. Go ahead and look it up. Decide whether or not you want to support it or not support that bill. Uh, there's some other things that are going on at the Capitol. Definitely take a look online. Go to Lone Star Gun Rights page. Uh, go to Texans for Accountable Government page and see what type of action you, you may need to do. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.